Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. So for example, someone says to me, oh, tell me about yourself. I said, oh, I'm the pitch whisperer. I help people go from invisible to investable. They're like, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. And that's exactly what you want to get people to say. Before we get into today's episode, I want to mention today's best ever partner and give you a free gift. And that partner is Fun That Flip. And they're going to be giving you a free deal analysis spreadsheet. You know who Fun That Flip is, don't you? Because you're a loyal best ever listener. They've been a sponsor on the show. Matt Rodak, the founder of Fun That Flip, has been on the podcast multiple times given us his insight on the online lending process. Fund That Flip provides fast, reliable funding for your house flip projects. They're an online platform, makes the application process entirely easy, and they've got a whole bunch of experts on their team who can help you get funding in 24 hours and close within as few as seven days. And all of you best ever listeners, you're getting a free spreadsheet to help you analyze your projects. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. And you'll get a free deal analysis tool. It'll help you provide a scope of work for your projects, create the scope of work, analyze the profitability of the project, or if it's not profitable, you need to know that too, and make a determination on the max purchase price super important. You can print out all the detailed reports and that will help you get your deals funded faster. Go to fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Get that free analysis tool, fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is a show where we cut out all the fluff and we only talk about the best advice that moves your real estate investing business forward. And well, I hope you're having a wonderful weekend. Because today is Sunday, we're doing a special segment called Skill Set Sunday, where at the end of our conversation, you're going to have acquired a specific skill that will help you in your real estate endeavors. What else did you expect from the world's longest running daily real estate podcast, but something as good and hard hitting as that. And today we're going to be talking about how to have a successful pitch when we are attempting to convince someone of something in the real estate industry. And to talk us through that is John Livesey. How are you doing, John? I'm doing great, Joe. How are you? I'm doing very well and nice to have you on the show. You are business partners with a former guest, Judy Robinette, and I'm looking forward to interviewing you on this show. In addition to that, John is 
the host of the podcast, The Successful Pitch, and he is a funding strategist helping startups craft a compelling message to get investors and advertisers. And you can say hi to him at his website, which is in the show notes link. You just click through there. And he's also the author of The Successful Pitch. So who else to talk us about how to have a successful pitch than someone who has a podcast called The Successful Pitch and is also the author of a book called The Successful Pitch. So with that being said, John, before we get too deep into the pitch, can you tell us a little bit more about your background just so we get to know you a little bit better? Sure, Joe. I had a career at Condé Nast for over 15 years where I sold multi-million deals across print, digital, and video for 23 different brands that you might know like Wired and GQ and Vanity Fair and Arc Digest to big companies like Lexus and Guest Jeans. And one of my big tasks there was to not only package all those multi-million deals across all those different platforms and brands, but also find startups that could help Condé Nast monetize those brands and figure out a way to stay cutting edge. So that's how I got into really realizing that there's a big problem out there, which is a lot of people just don't know how to pitch. So I really love helping people become storytellers, which is the best way to pull people into your story as opposed to pushing your message out with a sales pitch. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And that certainly what's my appetite for how to have a successful pitch. So how should we best structure this conversation so that at the end of our conversation, the best ever listeners will come away with knowing how to have a successful pitch when they're talking about their business? Well, let's talk about it in terms of stories, since I just said that that's really one of the best ways to pull people in. So you are meeting people, and you know from listening to Judy Robinette's episode, you know you need to connect with people, and people remember your stories, Joe, not your numbers. So Plato said storytellers rule the world. So if we can give your listeners today some takeaway skills on how to become a master storyteller so they can make people really want to invest with them, Mm -hmm. then I think we'll have done our job. So let's start there. I like to compare storytelling to a ladder. And at the bottom of the ladder, you're invisible. And it's also like dating. You maybe see somebody you're attracted to and they don't even know you exist. Same thing is true when you're thinking of like, oh, I'd love to get that person to invest in my startup or my building or whatever it is, and they don't even know you're around. Then the next rung up is where you're insignificant. And in the dating world, I don't know what's worse, invisible or insignificant. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, they see you, and that's maybe where you have something, but you're not really prepared yet. And then you move into the interesting rung. And in the dating world, maybe you say something clever or witty, and they go, hmm, I'm interested. I'm not going to go on a date with you yet, but I'm interested. So that's really where you want to start thinking about yourself in terms of business of, okay, what can I do to become at least interesting? And then the next rung up is intriguing for your 75%. And I've literally sent pitches to people or had conversations with them, and they say, I'm intrigued, tell me more. And that's really what you want. And then at the top, you're irresistible. And this is where you have multiple people trying to give you money. And there's a a whole strategy on how to go from invisible to investable. Mm -hmm. All through storytelling. So just to have that as a framework, I think is really helpful. When we think about the framework, how do we practically implement that framework into our business that all logically sounds good and makes sense? Well, the first step is when someone says to you, what kind of business are you in? Or tell me about yourself. You need to be prepared. You can't just wing it. 
you should have a pitch that answers two questions, Joe. Who do I help and what problem do I solve? So, for example, someone says to me, oh, tell me about yourself. I said, oh, I'm the pitch whisperer. I help people go from invisible to investable. They're like, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. And that's exactly what you want to get people to say. Mm-hmm. Tell me more. So you just tell a little bit to get them intrigued. I said, oh, well, I help tech CEOs who are struggling with their investor pitch to become irresistible by getting them in the right room with the right pitch, and they get their business funded. And when that happens, everything soars. So let's break that down. You see what I did there? I said specifically who I help. I help tech CEOs. What's their problem? They're struggling with their investor pitch. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. What's the solution? I teach them how to be a storyteller and get them in the right room with the right story. And the outcome is they get funded and their business takes off. So all of that's the structure. Who do you help and what problem do you solve? And pulling that in in a short, concise way that's memorable is how you get people to say, hmm, tell me more, I'm interested, or I don't know, but I want to introduce you to somebody who does need that help. I've been approached and all wrong. When people ask me what I do, I say I buy apartment communities with investors and we share in the profits, but that doesn't really focus on the problem I solve. It focuses on who I help, but maybe I should say something like I work with accredited investors who want to beat the stock market returns on average or something like that, huh? Well, I would even go a little further and say I help investors who are overwhelmed with all the choices that are out there on where to put their money from stocks to real estate, and I curate for them the best potential options that give them the best potential deals in a way that's fast and proven. That's a lot more specific and a lot more confident. Help me with perhaps it's just a personal hurdle or obstacle that I have, but what you said versus my original statement of I buy apartments with investors and we share in the profits, yours sounds salesy to me and like I'm trying to impress the person I'm speaking to, whereas my original one is more under the radar. So help me become okay with your option than what I originally have. You said I buy apartments with investors. What was the second response? And we share in the profits. And we share in the profits. Well, my response to that is, well, good for you. It doesn't tell me anything that makes me want to work with you. Right. It doesn't tell me, as opposed to what I'm trying to get you to say is who you're helping. I help investors who are overwhelmed. Well, oh, I'm a little overwhelmed with all the choices of where to put my money to. So you're showing empathy for your customer as opposed to, I buy apartments. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. You're like, I help investors who are overwhelmed with their choices of where to put their money. There's nothing salesy about that. That's saying, I'm here to be of service to people. And here's the problem I'm helping with. They don't know where to put their money because there's so many choices. We all get overwhelmed by too many choices. So that's mm-hmm. the difference for me in how I would respond to, oh, I have been overwhelmed by where to put my money and sharing in the profits to me sounds very salesy in your version. It's like, well, that poor investor has to share their profits. (laughs) So I'm not talking about profits at all. I'm helping investors who are overwhelmed with all the choices, figure out the best places to put their money so that they can get a better return. It's about them getting a better return, not about sharing the profits with me. Do you see the difference? 
Yeah, I do see the difference. And I never thought about the sharing and the profits as being kind of a self-serving angle, but I can totally see now how it could be interpreted that way. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. Good. Well, it's fun to play one-on-one because then the audience can say, oh, maybe I could shift what I'm saying to people in a way that positions me as someone who helps other people because that's who people want to work with. I've always considered myself a average to poor storyteller. How can we become better at storytelling? Let me give you an example of a good story, and then we'll break it down into the steps behind it. One of my clients, Martin, he was getting nervous having to get in front of investors to pitch his startup. So I have an exercise where I have people stack their moments of certainty. You write down four or five times, Joe, where you know you nailed it, right? You asked somebody out on a date. You knew you were going to get another date. You interviewed for a job. You knew you were going to get an offer, whatever it is. Put all that in your head before you go pitch somebody. So Martin said, wow, well, for me, I was born in South America, but I grew up in the Netherlands. And when I turned 18, my parents took me back to South America and dropped me off naked in the Amazon jungle to survive for two weeks because of my culture. That's the rite of passage into manhood. I said, whoa, that gives me goosebumps. I guess what? We just found the opening to your pitch. That's memorable. Talk about a weird visual. Yeah. And I said, what did you learn in the Amazon jungle? Well, I learned how to focus and pivot and persevere. I said, great. I'm going to take those lessons from the Amazon jungle to the concrete jungle of being an entrepreneur. And when he had that pitch practiced and honed, he won a pitch contest and got a startup funded because the investor said, I'm going to put my money on the guy that survived the Amazon jungle. He'll figure out ways to go through any bumps in the road in his business. So... That's a good story. Now let's break it down. A good story has a problem. There's an obstacle to overcome, the solution, and then the final part is what happens when that solution happens. So in this case, the problem is Martin's 18 years old and naked in the Amazon jungle. By the way, when he was practicing with me sometimes, he would forget to say that that's a part of his culture. So storytelling has exposition, which is the who, what, where, when. You have to be specific enough to paint a picture to put people in the story. I said, Martin, if you don't tell people that's part of your culture, it sounds like child abuse to be dropped off in the jungle naked. So you need enough to pull people in and not too much to bore them, but just enough to really get them a sense of why you're there and all that stuff. And then, of course, the solution is he figures out how to survive and has some life lessons. And then he takes that and turns it into a pitch. And the outcome is he gets funded. So you see how I broke that down? Exposition, problem, solution, and then what's the resolution after that happened? How do we determine what story to tell? Because ultimately, it needs to tie into our business. Mm -hmm. In this particular case, investors are investing in somebody who has tenacity and grit. So you have to come up with a story about yourself that shows that as opposed to just saying, I'm somebody who has a lot of perseverance. So in terms of your business, the best way to tell that is a story of origin. Tell people why you're doing what you're doing besides just making money. I decided I wanted to help people invest in apartment buildings because I saw they were making all the wrong choices, and I myself made the wrong choices at first, and I want to help people avoid the mistakes that I did. Oh, that's interesting. And then you tell a story of that if that in fact happened. What is a surprising challenge that as you've been working with people – you've helped them overcome. That's not the most obvious like stage fright or something, but a surprising challenge. I think the surprising challenge is realizing that people have a really hard time being clear and concise and compelling. It's amazing how much work goes into a 90-second, two-sentence pitch because they want to tell you everything. And I tell people, 
just tell me enough to get me to say, tell me more. That's really the biggest challenge most people have is they think they have to tell you everything. And they also think in the case of startups that if they show you how cool the product is, that you'll give them money. And I say, that's not how it works. The investors are invested in you, the jockey, and your idea is the horse. So you really have to sell yourself first. There's three things that people have as unspoken questions, Joe, that I think will be really helpful for you and everybody listening today. The first question is, do I trust you? It's a gut thing. That's why the fight or flight response kicks in, right? The handshake was originally a way to show you don't have a weapon in your hand. And then it goes up to the heart, which is, do I like you? And the best way to increase your likability is to show empathy. Doctors spend more time with patients they like. Teachers spend more time with students they like. And then it goes to the head, which is, will this work for me? Will this be a better return on investment than something else I'm looking at? A lot of people make the mistake and think, oh, well, if you know, like, and trust me, you'll give me money. And I say, no, it's the opposite. They have to trust you first, like you, and then know about you and your product. When you go through those steps, the do I trust you, do I like you, and will this work for me as a recipient receiving the information, what are some ways that the individual presenting that information can have a leg up if they implement these ways? Well, the best way to have a leg up is to have some preparation and some stories to go along with it. So the best way to build trust is to be completely candid and not pretend that you're perfect and say, I used to stumble at this, but now I don't. But let me tell you, this is a very common problem in investing in anything, real estate or what have you. And I'm not going to pretend that I haven't made mistakes because I have, but the good news is I've learned from them. Well, now suddenly you're a little bit vulnerable. People trust you. You're not trying to come across as somebody who knows it all and is perfect. And then the likability factor we talked about, which is all about empathy. There's a great book out that Tim Sanders wrote called The Likability Factor. That'll really help you. And then, will this work for me? Literally tell a story. You know, I was talking to somebody else who reminds me a lot of you, and they were in a similar situation. They were deciding between buying something where they live or buying something out of the country, and I advised them to do this and when that happened, a few years later, they sold the building for this kind of return. And they put themselves in that story. They're like, oh, do you want to go on that kind of journey? Absolutely. Perfect. For you personally, what has been a moment in time where you felt really good about the pitch that you did and would just love to hear the story about that? Hmm. Well, I think probably winning salesperson of the year for Condé Nast against 400 other salespeople across all those brands around the world, that was a big win for me personally and career-wise. And the way I did that was when I was at W Magazine, it was their W's 40th anniversary and Guess Jean's 30th anniversary. And I went up to Guess who was an advertiser and I said, what if, and that's always a great way to get people's imagination to kick in. We did a joint anniversary celebration, and that way we would both get more exposure PR-wise and branding-wise, because Guess has been an advertiser in W for so many years. And they said, okay, what would that look like? And I said, well, there's been Guest models like Drew Barrymore, who's also been on the cover of W. We could pull photos through the, all the past years and have an exhibit and have celebrities come and show Drew Barrymore and Guest's gene ad and on the cover of W and have multiple examples of that, and then you could put a insert, which is a 30-page example of all your models for the last 30 years, and polybag it with our anniversary, and then we'll get all kinds of joint publicity and 
generate awareness and buzz and they loved it and I got exclusive advertising and it was a big hit and that's what caused me to win. Wow. Did you plan on proposing that what if scenario prior to attending the event? Oh yes. Uh-huh. I'd done homework. <laughs> yep. Had the ideas ready, mock-ups, the whole bit. But it seemed like at the beginning of the conversation it was just kind of a off the cuff thought, correct? Yes. It wasn't like, let me come and pitch you this idea of what we can do together on our anniversary. I was like, let's have lunch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before we wrap up, what is, if any, another very tactical thing that you can share with the best ever listeners like that what if start of a sentence that we haven't talked about? Well, when it comes to storytelling, like anything, you need to practice it. So if you're going to have a pitch of any kind, I am a big proponent on practice your opening and practice your closing and really have that down so that you know no matter what happens, you know what you're going to say when you open the call and what you're going to say at the end of the call. And then you can be more fluid in between. But if you practice a really strong opening that pulls people in and a really strong closing, like a good closing to a pitch is not any questions. So when I work with clients on pitching investors, for their startup, I said, I'd like to invite you to join us in this quest to help make the school safer with this platform that instantly informs all the first responders when there's a problem and shows them where to go that they don't waste time at the front desk. So together, we can not only make the school safer and make money, but we're going to make the parents have peace of mind. So that's a good closing as mm-hmm. opposed to any questions. Like whenever I have presentations to my group of investors who I have pre-existing relationships with and I know them very well, and it's a presentation for a specific deal, I used to say that if you would like to invest, feel free to email me the amount, but instead perhaps it's something along the lines of, I'd like to invite you to invest and you can email me at, you know, yes, an invitation is yeah. a great way to pull people in. So now we have a, what if is an opening and a like to invite you as a closing. Great stuff. What if anything, do we want to mention about this topic that we haven't discussed? I'm sure we haven't covered it all, but if we've covered a good portion of it, then maybe. Yeah. Well, you know, if you, your listeners want to text the word funding, F-U-N-D-I-N-G, to 66866, I'll email them a free PDF of the three mistakes to avoid when you're pitching. Cool. All right. We shall do that, and I will put that in the show notes link. And, well, you're one step ahead of me because I was about to ask you what's the best place the best ever listeners can reach you. Is it through that text? At John underscore Livesey, L-I-V as in Victor, E-S-A-Y. And you can listen to my podcast for free. And as you mentioned, the book is available on Amazon or any place else you can buy a book, The Successful Pitch, Conversations on Going from Invisible to Investable. John, really appreciate you being on the show. Every seven seconds, I was writing down a note for a very practical application in our business. And I know the best ever listeners have come away with a lot of very practical tips as well from how to structure a story, which I think we inherently might know, but it's not a conscious thing. At least for me, it wasn't. You start with the problem, you give the solution, then what happens when the solution happens? So what's the result of it? And then having the what if beginning and then an invite at the end. I mean, just those things alone, and I have many more notes, but those things alone can have a great impact on our business. And, well, I mean, heck, you changed my whole one or two-liner when I meet people. So there you go. The, the one-degree shift 
can have exponential results. That's for sure. I think we just came across an example of that. So thanks so much for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever weekend and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good.